And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a beautiful autumn morning in the boring suburban East Coast where it's time, for the first time in way too long, to say with conviction and enthusiasm the three most anticipated words in niche basketball podcasting. That's right. What up, Beck? <laughs> what up, Low? Uh... I, I'm, I'm conflicted right now whether to simply respond with my normal response to you, whatever that is. I don't have normal. Or given the subject of today's podcast, I feel like I should just say I'm well. I don't know if that's uh, trademarked. If, I, if I'm if i allowed, that's an homage. That is an homage because I love Kevin Arnovitz and I love Kevin Arnovitz doing this pod with you. Uh, and I'm honored to be subbing in um, for him, although I am admittedly a little intimidated by it because uh, they don't come any smarter than Kevin. But this brings up this brings up another point and another Kevin because Kevin Clark, who I ran into at a concert, uh, the Gaslight Anthem the other night, um, someone on Twitter in response to us said, "Did you hit back with a what up back?" And Kevin Clark gave the response that a lot of people do, which is, "No, no, that's trademark. That's for Zach." I, this is the question I get most often, Zach, more than anything else. Not what was. Uh, like covering Shaq and Kobe, not what's it like getting to podcast with Zach Lowe. It's always just, can I say what up, Beck? Is that okay? And I say like, I, this is not, I can't make that call. It's it's yours. Like, are you are you charging five cents per mention? Is it trademarked? Is it okay for other people to do it? Is it infringing on your territory? I don't know what to tell people. So you need to set I the policy. Am, I am an open source user people can use what up Beck? i'm not pat riley trying to trademark three pete didn't didn't ohio state try or successfully accomplish the trademarking of the word the like before a university or some such nonsense last year anyone can use it so yes it is time it's friday september 30th it's the last day of september fall is here it's freaking cold i had to wear a jacket walking my daughter to school today it sucks but the nba season is almost upon us there was a preseason game in japan this morning between the washington wizards and the golden state warriors neither of whom is on my list Mm. of the five most confusing teams in the nba that's right it's time for the annual five most confusing teams podcast my definition of confusing may be different from yours mr listener miss listener it is for me not long term what are they up to what are they doing why did they do this trade that made no sense it's biggest variance between floor and ceiling biggest uncertainty in terms of where and how they will finish this coming season if they are enjoying good health i rank my five most confusing teams i asked mr beck to rank his Five most confusing teams with one caveat. Should we reveal the caveat, Mr. Beck? I'm I'm a big fan of caveats and revealing of caveats. So yes, the co- uh, corollaries. The the maybe we'll call it the Iron Eagle corollary, which actually made up in my league pass rankings. The Iron Eagle corollary in my league pass rankings is the Nets when they were unwatchable can only get Iron Eagle bonus points for watchability like once every three years because it was unfair. Remember when they were just like slow and it was Joe Johnson and Brooke Lopez and they weren't even good and it was Iron Eagle single-handedly would boost their league pass score. So the Nets corollary for this podcast is no Nets. I'm sick of talking about the Nets. 
We know the Nets are confusing. Yes. We know everyone has trust issues with two of their three superstars and that the third one that we all actually trust has missed a lot of games due to injury. We know that they're the on-paper champions of the NBA where no championships are actually decided. We know. We're not talking about the Nets. I have no Nets thoughts to spill anymore. I'm sick of the Nets. Are you sick of the Nets, Mr. Beck? Uh, I was at their media day, and it was uh, enough. I'm not going – well, actually, I, I can't say I'm not going back. I'm going to go back for probably both of their preseason games next week because they're in my backyard and they're fun. Oh, so, I, I'm, know, I'm excited but, to attend Nets games but, because they're games. Yeah, but talk, they're games. But talking about the drama of the Nets, the insanity of the Nets, the wackiness of the Nets, the confusingness, the confusion – of the Nets, uh, yeah, I, I think um, I think we need just need to ban that for a while. The Nets are banned. So, Mr. Beck, I will let you open the floor. Is this tradition on this podcast? Ooh. Who is your most confusing team for the 2022-23 NBA season? And I I have my list. I let the guests lead. If we, I'm curious always how much overlap we're going to have. If we get through two of yours and we haven't hit any of mine, I now retake control of the podcast. That's the rule. So, who's your most confusing team? Um, so I, I want to start off with just uh, two quick thoughts. Um, actually, a third. The first of which is, uh, this is great because I am easily confused. So me doing this podcast thematically makes a lot of sense. I'm easily confused. The other thing is that uh, as I was going through the standings, which is what we do, right? You just start kind of gazing over it and you think, well, who leaps out as confusing? I think this is a premise I'm going to throw out for this edition of this confusion uh, podcast, that this is a less confusing season than most. I think... There are some really clearly bad teams in each conference, and there's a lot of really good teams in both conferences. Now, confusion as to which tier they may be in as we create our tiers and who's a true contender and who's kind of a, a maybe and who's a play-in team, okay, fine. But there's a lot of really solid teams, and I think maybe as I was trying to find the most confusing, I was having a hard time uh, to some extent because I think it's a less confusing exercise than maybe it would be um, – in some other years. I also have realized in doing this, and I know you, like I am, uh, are a big X-Files fan. I, I've, I've realized that for me, this is kind of the Fox Mulder, I want to believe exercise. Remember the poster of the UFO behind him in his desk? Uh, yeah, the coolest yeah. poster from the entire decade of the 90s. Do Ab I remember that poster? Yeah, I, I think I remember it. Absolutely. It says, I want to believe. And that's where it happens with these teams sometimes. And there are a couple in particular where it's like, I want to believe. Like um, it's 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 preseason. We're all optimists. Everybody's gonna be great. And then you now, realize. I have, eh. I have a confession to make. I love the X Files. I have said before that I'm not sure it, it was an uneven show. Everyone has their has their take about whether they liked the standalone mystery episodes better than the larger conspiracy smoking plot man. episodes. The smoking. I man. was a smoking man episode love guy. Man. And I have to admit, and I've said. There was almost nothing better in the history of television than a good Smoking Man episode. It was so exciting and just intense and well done and mysterious and just it makes it gives me goosebumps. Having said all that, I legitimately have no idea how the X Files ended. I stopped paying attention after Mulder <laughs> left. I don't even remember really what the conspiracy was or what was going on with the aliens and the and the shadowy government figures. I don't know. Did they ever solve it? Is it uh, is it? Did they stop the conspiracy? Are we all safe? It's a shame because I love the show so much, and I have no idea what happened. It's the only show like that in the history of TV for me. I loved it, and I just I, and I lost it. I loved and lost. I bet somewhere out there, someone has done the rewatch podcast where they're going deep on it and analyzing it to death and could possibly even explain to you and I what did happen. Um, 
I'm I I would bet that podcast is out there somewhere. I'm not aware of it, but I'm I'm betting there is. There was a movie, Zach, a movie that picked up where the series left off. I remember there are two. That. There are at least two, and maybe two? three. And then there were and the new was, episodes that came right, out. Yes, and they brought a new. It's yeah. I, I can't remember any of it either. Um, but it was awesome. The X Files was great. Fox Mulder and I know fantastic. I know this. They never should have made out. I don't. I think they did in the first movie or something. They never should that have made fan, out. That was strictly fan service. That was, I would have. Yeah. I would have quit the show. I'd like to think. I always think of myself that I'd be very principled in these situations. Like I will walk out of my paycheck <laughs> for this. But I like to think I would have quit the show the moment Chris Carter was like, you know what? We gotta have a make out. Uh, okay, so who's your most confusing team? I'm done with I'm, the X Files. Your... All right, I'm coming out guns blazing on the most confusing. You ready for this? I know who it's going to be. I, I can already tell by your tone that I'm get, I'm preparing my notes to t- list to this team. I'm too excited. The Los Angeles Lakers. Yep, I was right. Got my <laughs> Lakers notes out. Damn it, I'm too predictable. <laughs> it's So let me start with this. I'm not sure they are as bad as they appeared. I do think we've all been too quick to write them off. Um, and I cannot get past the fact that when I look at LeBron James's stats from last season, the guy played like an MVP when he played. It was only 56 games, but 30 points a game on 590 effective field goal percentage and eight rebounds and six assists a game. And Anthony Davis, when he played, which was only 40 games, 23 and 10, I would make the case, and granted, it's an easier case to make five years ago, eight years ago, that a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis producing at those levels with just a slapdash cast around them should at least be a middle-of-the-pack playoff team. I understand LeBron's older. I understand Anthony Davis is always hurt. Um, But uh, your media company, Zach Lowe, uh, has Anthony Davis still as the 20th-ranked player in the NBA and LeBron at 6th. Anthony Davis has just said he wants to be the number one option, so that's that's cool. I think he's said that a couple of times. I feel, I feel like I, this is like at least the third consecutive season of <laughs> we're running our offense through Anthony Davis. We're declaring it now. Yes. AD's excited. That's a, I, this I don't really time know for what sure. That... This time for sure. Look, I I remain unsold on Russell Westbrook as a fit with this team. I remain unsold on the supporting cast that they did not do all that much to upgrade. Um, I think Darvin Ham's going to be a really good head coach for them. When I had Jeannie Buss on the podcast, uh, on my podcast a few weeks ago, and I, I made an off-the-cuff remark about you guys didn't really make any dramatic changes this summer, so I'm not sure you know where this what this means for you. And she immediately clapped back at me like we hired Darvin Ham, and so that like she viewed that as like that's their their big uh, pickup of the summer. Um, I think there is the outline here of of a team that should exceed the ESPN projected win total of 42. I think that there's a best case scenario where they are ahead of and not behind Minnesota and New Orleans teams that, that uh, again, the ESPN projections have them behind. Um, I don't think they have enough shooting. I don't think they have enough wing defense. But I still cannot get past, even in the year 2022, that a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis, assuming health. And by the way, it's it's September 30th. I, unless somebody's already hurt and on the shelf or have nagging injuries that have been dogging them for the last however many months, years, I'm going to assume health on September 30th. So I'm assuming LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to play, I don't know, 70 plus games. And maybe that's foolish. And then I'm going to make this not prediction. I'm going to say this is this 
here we go with Fox Mulder. I want to believe. I want to believe that after everything they've all gone through and all the things that have been said and done and weird stuff at Summer League and blah, 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 that Russell Westbrook is coming back with a slightly different mindset than he had last season and that maybe Darvin Ham will get through to him in a way that Frank Vogel didn't. I'm not convinced. I I just think it's it's within the realm of possibility. Howard. <laughs> Howard, you're adorable. That's adorable. <laughs> That's so cute. Uh I'm just saying so the it's La- possible. The Lakers, I didn't know that we are whatever projection system you're referring to has them at 42 and 40. They're over under their latest over under in Vegas is 45 and a half, one ahead of the Pelicans and three behind the Dallas, Minnesota, Memphis group at 48 and a half. Um, the Lakers were also on my top five most confusing teams uh, for the exact reason that you just said. I just think a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis, and I said I said playing 120 combined. Let's say they get 60 each. Let's dial it back because you Which can assume modest. health. You can assume health because of lack of nagging injuries, whatever. LeBron's almost 38, and, and three of his four seasons in Los Angeles have been yes. disappointing and or injury riddled or both. And Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis. He gets injured a lot. Give me 60 of each, and I, th- and I think that 45-win floor sounds right. Because those guys are that good. Yes. That's a, that if they get if they get relatively healthy seasons from those two, and everything else just is okay. Even some stuff goes wrong, some stuff goes right. It's just hard for me to see them being like a 500 team or worse because those guys are so good. I struggle with them with the ceiling. I just don't know with the supporting cast. That the the notion of this is, if you're picking them as a confusing team, the implication is that they can go far one way or another yes. off that projection. Yeah. I could see them with bad health going far lower. I just am not sure I can see them getting to like 50 with this team. Let's go over the rotation. Currently, to my best knowledge, the starting five is projected to be in a camp just started. Kendrick Nunn, Russell Westbrook. LeBron, AD, Damian Jones. It's okay. It's just okay. Like, I've already said I'm bringing Russ off the bench day one. I would say if the Russ experiment is going badly in the starting five, I'm they're going to give it five or ten games, and then Pat Beverly is going to start. I would start Pat Beverly immediately and bring Russ off the bench. They don't appear to have the appetite for that. We shall see what Darvin Ham does if it goes badly. I think it's going to go badly. All of this happy talk and and you know Russ is willing to do whatever it takes to win. I've all heard it. I've heard it all before. I, I just expect it to not go well. We know that he's a bad fit with those two guys. Let alone a center along with them. I have no expectations for that. And I just look at the supporting cast without a trade, which we'll get to. It's just a little small. Like the wing guys are a little. There, none of them trend big. The shooting is just okay. Lonnie Walker's low 30s. Troy Brown's mid to low 30s. Austin Reeves is low 30s. Kendrick Nunn's just okay. Juan Toscano Anderson's a non-shooter. We can go on and on. Pat, Pat Beverly is the one. Again, I think whatever whoever starts their best lineup has Pat Beverly, LeBron, AD, question mark, question mark. And I don't think one of those question marks is Russ. I just am not sure I see enough size or enough shooting to propel them up, up. So I guess my ceiling definition for this team is slightly higher than 45 and a half. I could see like 48 on the high end, which is enough to get you out of the play-in. 
And if you're in the playoffs with those two guys healthy, you've got a shot against anyone. I guess that's the ceiling. Like if you, if you told me they beat Phoenix in the first round because LeBron and AD have a monster series and whatever supporting cast players do their Rajon Rondo, KCP, hit every three from the bubble imitation in the first round, they pull an upset. I could see that. The floor is pretty low. The ceiling, I don't know how high it is, but that's that's my take on the Lakers a- absent a trade. I, I do think we're sort of underrating just how good they'll be if their two main guys are healthy. I just don't see enough in the supporting cast for me to put them that high in the West. Yeah, I mean, look, they're not a contender, right? Um, I think the, you know, I was trying to kind of sh- scratch out my own tears here before we started. And, you know, Warriors, Clippers, Suns might be my top tier. And then the second tier is Nuggets and Grizzlies, uh, something like that. Uh, or is there a scenario where the Lakers are better than any of those teams, uh, unless we're assuming injuries by those teams? I don't, I don't think so. By the way, the Nuggets, they're over under dropped to 49 and a half over the last week or so. The latest lines have them down to 49 and a half, just one win above the Mavericks hmm. and the Wolves. I, I don't know why that would be other than people are pessimistic on Porter. I, were I allowed to do so, would wager real money without telling my wife because she would not be happy uh, on the Nuggets to destroy that over. I, I, I don't know why they're – I think the Nuggets are in that top tier. And Frank, given the internal chaos, I, I don't know that they'll win more games than Phoenix, but I would put their championship equity like higher than the Suns for sure. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I would readily flip-flop those two. And I'm, you know, the yeah, I think there's a, a major asterisk next to the Suns right now, given not just the, the, the shadow that Sarver and the sale of the franchise has cast and everything that they, we've all just learned has cast, but, you know, uh, DeAndre Ayton's uh, day one trading camp performance of, yeah, I haven't talked to my coach and the coach saying, no, I haven't talked to my star center. Um, Do people's phones not work? I don't understand. So Self-service in the says, desert is tough. So Christian Wood says, um, this is the first I've heard of me coming <laughs> off the bench. I'm like, dude, we all heard in July. I don't know where you were. DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams can't get on the phone. And God knows the NBA's complaint hotline about major internal team issues and tampering <laughs> has never worked because no one's ever called it. And the NBA is able to be like, hey, how were we supposed to know any of this was going on? Nobody called 1-800-BAD-STUFF at the NBA office. I never want to hear the word hotline again from the league. Change the hotline. Eliminate the hotline. Nobody is calling the hotline. Um how about NBA Lakers. Slack? Could they just create some Slack channels and maybe Jason Kidd and Christian Wood can Slack each other, DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams? Like we've, We have like more modes of communication, more different texting apps, all these different things that we've ever had in the history of the universe. And somehow a coach and a player can't straighten out where they are with each other. I like to it's, – it's, I'm not going anymore in the hotline. The Lakers um, – let's talk about the trade stuff that's been going on endlessly with can they get anything for Russ in their picks 2027, 2029, whatever it ends up being. And as I've gone through before, it's hard to protect those picks because of the seven-year rule. You can't trade any pick that's more than seven years out from the present day. So it's not like they can protect them indefinitely like four times, lottery protected. Right now, Mr. Beck – as far as I know, at 10.24 a.m. on Friday, September 30th, they got nothing. There's no trade happening. There doesn't seem to be any trade discussions that are deep in the works. Um, the Bogdanovich sh- ship sailed for now. 
they could re-engage the Jazz. They could re-engage the Spurs. I, I've deemed any packages from those teams as insufficient for me to give up any major draft equity. It doesn't bump up my odds enough. The one I've said I would lose sleep over if I were a bus or Mr. Palinka is trading both picks to the Pacers for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. And I'm not going to belabor why that is. They feel two obvious needs. I am of the opinion that Anthony Davis and Miles Turner can play together. Some people disagree. That's fine. It would be fun to see it on the court. My best intel right now is if the Lakers called Indiana and said both picks unprotected, the Pacers would do that deal, would probably do that deal. I don't think the Lakers are there for whatever reason. They don't think appear to think that Pacers package puts them really in the championship inner circle, and they're holding on to those picks unless they find a deal that they think gets them in the inner circle. And maybe they're right to do it. Maybe they're sitting here waiting for some team to fall apart in the middle of the season. And I would look at the Bulls. I bet the Lakers are looking at the Bulls and thinking, boy, if they just if they crap the bed, could we trade Russ in those two picks for DeRozan and Vucevic? And I hear can hear Bulls fans thinking, well, we'd never do that. That's way too much. Those are two of our core guys, even though Vuce is on an expiring and blah, blah, blah. I agree. I don't think the Bulls do that because that's going back to almost – square one post-Butler trade for the Bulls. And I don't think they have an appetite for that until the Lonzo thing is resolved one way or another. So maybe this is just a Lakers roster, my friend. Maybe they're just maybe they're just rolling with it and saying if we have to punt, effectively punt LeBron's age 38 season in terms of championship chances to roll over our cap space and sign somebody, maybe we'll do it. It's a fascinating it's a fascinating dilemma, but they were on my list too. So we are one for one in overlap. Uh, incredible, or maybe not so incredible. I, I will say that one of the most interesting things that Palenka said uh, at their media day was this kind of implicit acknowledgement of the idea of a Westbrook trade without actually mentioning Westbrook in it when he says, look, we do have these two picks we can trade, but you go, you can only do that once. We, we cannot screw this up. It's got to be the exact right deal, which is true. Also, you know, it kind of... Kind of indicates just how much pressure you're under to fix this uh, this thing that you screwed up when you acquired Westbrook in the first place. They can't afford to mess that up. Um, but to the question of of whether you should do it in concept, of I don't care what you're giving up down the road. Like you do have LeBron at what is seemingly the twilight of his career, although it's LeBron. We never know when the end is going is going to come because he's not human. Um, you you owe it to him, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to the franchise, you owe it to history to give him the best chance. And if that means giving up unprotected picks down the road, and not just to offload Westbrook, obviously, but to get something of use in return. If it's the Miles Turner, Buddy Heald deal, if it's, you know, DeMar DeRozan, if it's whatever, even if you're just increasing your chances by 5%, I, I think you have to do it. You don't know how many more years of LeBron you have, or certainly a LeBron that can still put up the kind of numbers he did last season and probably will again this season. Like, what else are you doing? What's the point? Like, what is the point, really? He's one of the greatest players we've ever seen, in some people's view, the greatest player we've ever seen. What the hell are you doing if you're not giving him the best chance to at least make a deep playoff run? I don't even care if, if there's no assurances of making the finals, right? But just get yourself back in the conversation legitimately. You're not there right now. And easy for me to say, and I don't know what deals would or would not be on the table. I do think, and I always say this this time of year, things change very, very quickly once we get three, four weeks into the season and teams start to realize we're not nearly as good as we thought we were. Or a team like the Bulls, I think, is, is, is a fascinating one to watch. Balls on the shelf. They 
overshot last year as it was anyway. Um, uh, you know, the, the Bulls, if they can't replicate it and they start stumbling, maybe they do pivot to a, a kind of on-the-fly rebuild. Maybe Who knows? There's lots of names we could mention, right? Like if the Wizards are bad, and what, what does that mean for Bradley Beal, who of course can't be traded immediately and has a no-trade clause, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the Indiana one is the only one realistically that I've seen that I would think really hard about forking over both the picks. And again, what I, re- what I said earlier about would Indiana do it, would the Lakers do it, whatever, that's just the best reporting I have, the best intel I have at this very moment. It doesn't, it, like, this intel is always kind of murky and it could change on a dime, including, as you said, if the Lakers are disappointing early in the season. Enough Lakers. Okay. I'm done with the Lakers. Uh, Mr. Beck, your second most uh, confusing team of the season. Let's see if we go two for two. Okay, I'm going to stay in the Western Conference, and it's a team that we have kind of uh, touched on in passing. Your Dallas Mavericks. Two for two! Wow. Justify this because they were, in in truth, I would have put the Pelicans on this list had I not just done a deep dive on the Pelicans three days ago on this very podcast so people can can, can listen to that. So Dallas was kind of my fifth sub for the Pelicans because I'm not that confused about them. But I'm more confused than you think I would be based on the fact that we know they have that dude yeah. running the show in Luca. So tell me why you're confused. Um, it's it, So it's because of that dude, right? They have Luca. <laughs> they have Luca. Luca's awesome. Luca's a top five player in the NBA, uh, and he improves every year. They beat the Suns. Best record of the NBA. They beat the Suns. Uh, they made the conference finals. Like it's hard to dismiss a team or downgrade a team or son- or somehow come into the next season underrating a team that did all of those things and has that guy. However, um, they've basically been a solid middle of the pack team for the last few years. Not a clear contender. And they weren't even a clear contender last year until suddenly they made the conference finals. And, and that's, by the way, where Vegas has them now. 48 and a half wins behind that. That would be fifth uh, in the West. Yeah, and by the way, so last four seasons, right? Go back four seasons, uh, Luca's uh, rookie year. 33 wins, they don't make the playoffs. The next year, they jumped to 43 in a shortened season. It would be the equivalent of 47. The next year would be the equivalent in a full season of 48, and then 52. So 47, 48, 52, that's been their range. If you're a high 40s, low 50s win team, you're maybe a fringe contender, but you're not a clear contender. Um, does making the conference finals mean you've arrived and you're a contender i mean the hawks did it in 2021 and look what happened to them and the blazers did it back in 2019 and look what happened to them so it's not we shouldn't overrate that we saw them playing against the warriors in the conference finals they still don't have a second star and to the extent that porzingis was kind of a pseudo second star he's gone and jalen brunson is gone and they lost him for nothing uh they still need more playmaking, and, and maybe Spencer Dinwiddie provides some of that secondary playmaking and, uh, and, and some scoring off the ball as well. Dinwiddie gets hurt a lot, has not you know, reached the same heights he did before his ACL uh, in Brooklyn. So who's going who's gonna to put up 20-plus points on this team consistently to support Luka? Um, Christian Wood. I, I, I'm intrigued by Christian Wood. Uh, a lot of people in this league are very down on, on Christian Wood and see him as kind of a guy who has some talent and puts up numbers but is not a winning player. So it's not clear what Christian Wood adds up to for them. Also, Christian Wood coming off the bench <laughs> when he thought he was starting. Um, so there's that. 
the other thing though is just sometimes it's not about knocking the team that you're talking about in this case the Mavericks it's about the fact that everybody else improved like the Pelicans now have a healthy Zion and CJ McCollum to start the season and Brandon Ingram they they have a plausible big 3 a really really potent one the Timberwolves got Rudy Gobert and the Lakers as we just discussed should be better uh the Trailblazers are going to be better. I'm not saying the Trailblazers will be better than the Mavericks. I'm not saying any of these teams necessarily are better than the Mavericks. I'm just saying night after night, the West just got that much tougher. And sometimes it just takes everybody else improving around you to kind of expose the fact that maybe you weren't that great in the first place. So, I, I mean, that's that's my basic thing. I, and I also, I also come back to this very obvious, reductive, but true thing about the NBA. You need a second star, and they don't have one. And it's very rare in this league, even a player of, of Lucas Caliber, that you can carry a team to contender status conference finals consistently if you don't have anybody else to hang your hat on. To me, the reason they're on my list is twofold. Number one, I have 100% confidence in their floor being really high as long as Luka is healthy and yes. plays 70 games. Yes. He's just that good. They're three and D guys, you know. Their 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 system of couple three and D guys, one ball handler, one big guy. Who depending on who that will be, like that's a fail safe that works. They're going to win a lot of games. Yes. My confusion is, can they vault up into that true inner echelon? Is that where their ceiling is, and how do they get there? Having lost Jalen Brunson, and effectively kind of replaced him with Tim Hardaway Jr. coming back. Very different player, not as much of a ball handler, more of a shooter, secondary ball handler, obviously. Not as crafty in the paint um, uh, as, as Jalen Brunson is. And then Christian Wood, for whom they traded their first-round pick and some salary matching. And his fit, to me, is the other mystery. Because this team, I think people forget this because of how dynamite they looked in the playoffs offensively. They won the amount of games they did in the regular season because they had a top 10 defense all year. And one of the mysteries for me is, can they replicate that again? Was that smoke and mirrors? Was it luck? Was it some combination of that? And how does Christian Wood fit with that? So if you play Christian Wood with JaVale McGee, he's going to have to guard fours. Christian Wood's not that good guarding stretch fours. He doesn't have the attention, sort of the the, the dialed-in attention to chase them around. He, he loses them on the perimeter. Okay, so that's one thing. If you play Christian Wood with Maxi Kleba, maybe you toggle the assignment so Kleba guards fours and Christian Wood guards fives. If you play Christian Wood as the only big man on the floor, and it's the big mystery of the Mavs to me is how much they're going to lean into that and when, because they're going to be unguardable offensively with Christian Wood and four wings. Then he's got to defend fives. And I don't know if I get more nervous about him being my defensive center or my defensive power forward because he has not fared well at either spot. He is in a culture where effort on defense is non-negotiable, where this team punched above its weight defensively last year because their rotations were always on point, their schemes were on point, their execution was on point. They did get a little bit lucky with opponents missing wide-open threes at a super high rate, but they didn't allow a lot of wide open threes and they were fundamentally really rock solid defensively. Like I don't think their defense was seventh last year because of luck and smoke and mirrors. I think they were a legit good defensive team. I just don't know how Wood fits into that picture. He's going to help their offense. Um, and so that's sort of the big mystery of, of them for me is how they deal with Brunson going out and Wood coming in because I think that 
what player pairings work with Christian Wood and how do we use him is the biggest thing the Mavs need to sort out because if the more they can play four shooters around Luka without compromising their defense, and that's what Kleba at the five gave them last year, the more they can go that way, the higher their ceiling goes. I do think there is going to be an experimentation period early in the season where they try to figure out that question and that part of their identity. Just by the way, the Lakers... With Russ, I think there's the downside of starting Russ is they could waste the first 10 games of their season trying to fit a, a round peg into a square hole or a square peg into a round hole or whatever it is. So I, I actually think there is a healthy bit of mystery to the Mavs. Their depth is only so-so, like Josh Green, Frank Nilakina, They're interesting players. They could play an interesting role on this team as like, like extra good wing defense in various lineups. Um, can't play them with another non-shooter like JaVale, so that's that's another dilemma. I, I do think there's a fair bit of mystery here, even though I'm quite sure this team's going to be really good. They're going to be really good, um, but again, when I'm you know scratching out tears on the fly here, I, I don't think they're you know they're not they're they're not in the contender tier, and I'm not sure if they're in the second tier. I think they're somewhere in, in that in that third tier, and that's you know that's the confusion, right? They they made the conference finals. They have Luca. Uh, they they have a they have a formula they've established that they know can win, which you just outlined, and I think they'll they'll still do it at a high level. I just don't know that, that they can break through um, and have a run like they just did without some changes. I love the Kleba Wood pairing in theory. Both can roll, both can pop, and Christian Wood. I do think people fixate on the second ball handler thing for Dallas and the loss of Brunson. They are super optimistic that what Dinwiddie did in 23 regular season games and whatever playoff games was real. He shot it better. He looked like a good fit. We'll see. I think an underrated part of Wood's game is people think of him as sort of pick and pop, shoot lots of threes. He can get his own offense both facing up against bigger defenders and posting smaller defenders. He's a really good off-the-dribble player. I think leaning into him as sixth man is, is a smart way to start the season in part because I want him on the floor when Luka is resting every second. And I think he can be a part of that second ball handler answer for them. Just depends on how 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 much that, if, if at all, compromises what was their driving force last year in the regular season, at least, and that was their defense. And I will just say, too, real quick, in, in defense of Christian Wood, or back to my, you know, my sunny optimist, uh, Fox Mulder, I want to believe mode in September, is that you know, Christian Wood, for whatever knocks people around the league had on him as maybe, you know, empty numbers or whatever else, or maybe they think he's a little selfish or a little flaky or whatever, he he's in a winning program now. And he's in a no-nonsense winning program with a no-nonsense head coach in, in Jason Kidd and is on an established team where it's it's not all about him. And, you know, like that, the change in context could be everything. And so uh, this is a chance to see the best version of him. So we'll see. Well, not only that, you know, he's not only has he played his entire career essentially with poo-poo teams playing for nothing, he's never played with anyone who yeah. can set him up for easy baskets, let alone maybe the best in the entire league at doing that. I said last week on NBA Today, I think he might be the favorite for six man of the year. He could score 20 points off the bench for this team. He could average 20 off the bench. That's how prolific he is offensively. I have no doubt about that fit. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. 
One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Okay, well, we're two for two, so I'm going to let you continue leading. That's the kind of host I am, Howard Beck. You come to my house. We got your favorite drinks on hand. Even if there's some fruity White Claw stuff that I think is dumb, <laughs> we'll have it on hand. Get your favorite food. Are you vegan? We'll get some vegan stuff. Are you gluten-free? My, my number of gluten-free friends is piling up. I don't really get it, but good for them. We got gluten-free this, gluten-free that. So give me your gluten-free Third most confusing team in the NBA. Well, you're giving them all the gluten-free. If you then have extra gluten just like sitting in the pantry, I'll just eat all the extra gluten because I eat There everything. you go. Just a pile of gluten. I'm just going to sit in the corner just scarfing gluten. Uh, my third most confusing team. I guess these were in no particular order other than uh, the – What? You're banned from doing this podcast in the future. You didn't rank them? No, didn't I didn't. You spend time ranking them? <laughs> the Lakers were definitely number one. And then you just stop. You're one of those. Like after that, it's irrelevant. It's just a random list. It's just that's that's what you think of this podcast, Howard. You put that little care into the podcast. All right, I'm I'm uh, my sincere apologies, Zach. Thank you. Give me your third most confusing. If my, we go three for three, I think that might be unprecedented in the history of this podcast. What, Scholars will have to check that, but we'll see. Do, like, are streamers gonna cut, pop and fly, come fluttering down if we go three for three? Is there gonna be like a marching band? I'm curious to see what happens. Uh, my third most confusing team, Zach Lowe. Your Atlanta Hawks. Three for three! Woo! Look at this. Oh, I've Break got streamers. The, there are streamers coming down to my home office. Break out the mango white claw. We are <laughs> three for three. The Atlanta Hawks were number one on my list of confusing teams. Wow. Talk to me. Very, very confusing. Very confusing. I mean, speaking of teams that made the conference finals, and so we go from underrating them to overrating them to now not sure what the hell to do with them. Um, I, I I jotted down next to the Hawks. Uh, all they need is some defense, right? Um, so 43 wins last year, a big come down, smoked in the first round by the Heat in five games. Um, I, I don't know how to define even where they are. Is this an identity crisis? Is this a retooling? Are they still retooling? Is John Collins, who's been on the trade block for like 532 consecutive days, eventually going to be traded? Is he still there? Um, they were 26th in defensive efficiency last season, uh, down from 18th, which you know at least was semi-respectable the year before. The second best offense last year. All right, so they get DeJounte Murray. They get DeJounte Murray. DeJounte Murray should improve their defense. He should improve their offensive balance. He should 
uh, force them to adjust a little bit and make Trey, you know, uh, adjust his game a little bit, play off the ball a little bit more, diversify the offense, make them a little bit harder to guard, a little less Trey centric. There's all these things that should happen. They have in in Dejounte and DeAndre Hunter and, and Capella. You've got the the outline of a respectable defense, perhaps, um, and yet. We don't know how DeJounte and Trey are actually going to mesh and how much control Trey is going to be willing to give up uh, with, uh, offensively, ball control, playmaking, all that. Um, we, they, they have some serious injury histories with, with key guys. You know, obviously Bogdanovich, uh, Hunter, Collins. Um, I just, I almost feel, it's not like they're a new team. The core of a team that we've seen for the last few years is there, but I almost feel like I'm, I'm looking at them as a new team. In, in some way. And I also think that maybe there are still other shoes left to drop uh, because it seems like they're always on the verge of potentially trading John Collins if they find the right deal. The Hawks are at 45 and a half wins over under, according to Vegas. And I think if you zoom out and tear out the East, here's why the Hawks are confusing. Tier one is Philly, Milwaukee, Boston. That's the top three in the East going into the season. Okay, and the, and, the, and the Nets with an asterisk. I'm not. I, no. The, no. All right. Seven no. asterisks. No. Five asterisks. No. <laughs> Careful. Nets don't get to go in that tier. You okay. just don't get to go in that tier after the last two seasons. You don't. You're out of the Fair. tier. Now that's three of your six non-play-in playoff spots occupied. I think if people went right below that, they'd say, wait a second, Miami was in the conference finals. They belong yes. there. Yes. A team that did not make my most confusing teams list because I am wildly high on them and, again, would bet the over if such things were allowed is Toronto. Yes. Brooklyn, now we're up to six. And I think the Atlanta confusion and one of my other confusing teams falls into this bucket too is Atlanta is in that tier somewhere. And I think the question is, are they at the high end of that tier? Like, are they so good on talent with one of the best offensive players in the league? A system that works so well, they were number two in offense last year. A defense that just has to be better than it was at number 26, adding DeJounte Murray, who will actually get this team some steals. This team forces no turnovers. He will help that get them out in transition. Will he mesh with Trey Young? We'll see. He will prop up the offense when Trey Young rests, which has been a chronic problem for them, although less so in the latter period of that year. That are they so good on and John Collins, whatever you think of him, is a really, really good player. Clint Capella was a borderline all NBA player two seasons ago, had a step back last year, should be healthier this year. He's still not even 30. On pure talent, you look at that starting five Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, Hunter, Collins, Capella. Great lineup. Off the bench, Murray is your, effectively your backup point guard. Bogdanovich coming off injury, we'll see. Optimistic that he's you know he's been part of their best lineups since he's gotten to Atlanta. Justin Holiday, Jalen Johnson, not great at the three and four. Akangu as a backup center is elite. On talent, you look at that team and say, boy, they are, are they so good that they, they're at the top of that Miami, Toronto, Brooklyn tier with a shot of going into the top three? Or... Do we not believe in their defense? Do we not believe in their depth? Do we believe that there are going to be hiccups in the Trey DeJounte fit? DeJounte Murray ran, I think, the fourth most pick and rolls in the entire league last year. Trey was first. DeJounte Murray shot 34% on catch and shoot threes. Not just threes, the best threes, 
31% the year before. Now he's become a very good mid-range shooter. Perhaps that's encouraging. Are there going to be hiccups there that they're one injury or one bad break away from being like, oh my God, the Hawks, the Hawks are ninth. I think the level of variance with this team might be higher than with any team in the entire NBA. They're a no-brainer for this list. Um, I mean, the highest level of variance is a team that you've banned from this podcast. But um, I mean, there's a team that you didn't mention, even in just the the clutter that the Hawks have to break through. I don't because th- they're on my list, Howard. Well, Beck. Don't I had spoil it, but go ahead and <laughs> go ahead and say their name. The Cleveland Cavaliers are on the list. Are somewhere in this mix, um, and so again, like I was saying with the Mavericks, like there's this, there's this problem of it's not just not whether or not the Hawks made good moves and DeJounte Murray's good pickup and whether or not it works and all that. It's also just that things are really freaking crowded because uh, this is where the NBA is right now. They're just a lot more quality teams, not necessarily elite dominant all-time teams, but there's a dispersal of talent where you just have a bunch of teams that are, that are uh, at minimum solid. And we don't know what the Cavs are going to be going to become, which is why they're on your list. Um, but they should be in this mix. They should be in that second to third tier. And that potentially shoves the Hawks all the way down to at, at best play in, in in the seven to 10 range. And, you know, then things can get dicey. But I mean, look, is there a scenario where the Hawks, where everything falls into place and they snare one of the six, one of the six uh, guaranteed spots? You could, you could tell so. me there are scenarios where they win 50 games. Sure. And that's that's how good their talent is. Now that requires Bogdanovich being healthy to start the season. It requires, I mean, it, it they're not the sexiest names, but I think two of the most important guys on this team, short term and long term, are DeAndre Hunter and Onyeka Okongwu. It requires Hunter becoming way better as a catch and go playmaker and more willing as a three point shooter, which he's still very young. He's not he's he's not that young, but he's still pretty young. And Okongwu, I think, is a stud. The only downside is he can't play really with Capella, so you have a minute ceiling kind of placed on him. Um, and their depth is – their top eight I love. After that, I get nervous. Uh, although Justin Holiday, I think it was a sneaky was a sneaky important part of that herder trade for them. He's, he's just like your classic dependable bench wing. Just everybody is happy to have Justin Holiday on their team. Um, I, I just have no idea how many, how many games this, this team is going to win. Again, their over-under is at 45.5. By the way, so is the Raptors. Boy, would I hit the over hard on that. Um, that that Hawks line feels feels dicey to me. Like, I don't I don't know where I would go with it. I just know that they, they could go a lot of different ways, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see, um, see how they play. I mean, defensively, again, they were 26 last year, but you look at opponent shooting numbers, they just got lit up from everywhere. How much of that was luck? How much of that was just bad defense? We know Trey is a huge liability defensively that they have to hide. Murray will help. Underrated part of Murray is that DeAndre Hunter no longer has to guard these super quick guards. Like DeAndre Hunter had to guard everybody because Trey Young can't guard anybody. He had to guard the best guy on the other team, and sometimes that meant really fast guards, and that's not the best matchup for him. He got almost, he guards up in size better than down in size. So Murray's here for that. I don't know what to make of this team. I I. I think it would be a disappointment if they fall. I, I think fans would be justified being disappointed if they're in the play-in tournament, even yeah. though I think that's a totally realistic outcome for them. I think being anywhere below eighth would be a, a major disappointment regardless. 
And you could tell me that they finish ahead of Miami, Toronto. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. I think they're the most confusing team in the league outside the Voldemort that shall not be named. <laughs> I agree. By the way, I just want to uh, note for the record: uh, though you do not bet, you have now made I think like seventeen uh, theoretical bets in the course of discussions. You know why? Because I've come to realize that I'm just going to have to learn more about gambling. It's, it's just going to be part of our job and part of our industry. It's something I, I have not had any interest in. Um, I, I don't, you know, people are like, well, you can get this money line at this and that. And I'm like, I, this is like a foreign language to me. I'm yeah. just going to have to learn more about it. I've accepted that, Howard Beck, at my old age. I will have to learn I, some new tricks. I, I, have, I have theoretically accepted the same, although in truth, I still have not educated myself and all that stuff confuses the hell out of me um we get those the the frequent emails from our guy jimmy shapiro at whichever i can't even remember i'm sorry jimmy which one that you're promoting and you click it and you go to some screen and there's just like numbers everywhere and i i I just lock up i don't know what plus 300 means i don't it's all just confusing to me i've never made that can i ask you a question not related to basketball and i'm doing this selfishly because i i mentioned recently on a podcast that Every once in a while, I just want to take three minutes and, and talk about something that's awesome before, because I, I think we should talk about things that are awesome more. So what's your favorite television show that you feel like nobody ever watched? Your, your like hidden gem television show. Oh, of all time? Of all time. Of all times. Wow. Um, it's funny because actually we just finished season two of a series that's new right now that I don't think enough people are aware of called Reservation Dogs. Do you know this on Hulu? Heard of it. Don't know what it is. Reservation Dogs is about uh, kids on a Native American reservation. That's what the reservation's referring to. The dogs part is that they have dubbed themselves as their their group of friends as the Res Dogs, the Reservation Dogs. Um, it's incredible. It is. I've never seen any other series quite like it. I don't know exactly how to describe it. It is. It's moving. It's funny. Um, it's creative. It's. It sometimes moves into some, some really strange spaces. Uh, that are just wonderful. Um, there's there's just so many great things going on. I cannot possibly describe it as well as, say, our friends Andy Greenwald and uh, Chris Ryan over at The Rigor on The Watch Pod. I was just listening to them rhapsodize about it after I finished season two because I like listening to their, their analysis. They're smarter about TV than I am. Um, it's incredible. It is a series that I don't think... Uh, like, it's not... I, I have not heard any buzz about it outside of, say, like, you know, TV critics on podcasts. Um it's fantastic. My wife and I finished it last night. Uh, highly, highly recommend. My second favorite show, there's a public service announcement. My second favorite show ever, and I have not watched that much television in the last 10 years, so take it with a grain of salt, uh, is Halt and Catch Fire. Nobody oh, watched Halt and phenomenal. Catch Fire. That was one of Halt our, uh, yeah, that was one of our lockdown shows when, uh, when the world shut down and we just started binging everything. We did that. Halt and Catch Fire is absolutely incredible. Everybody should watch it. Loved it. Um, I saw it about two years ago, and I loved it so much. And then I saw Mina Kimes wearing a Halt and Catch Fire shirt on TV one day, and I texted with Mina. I was like, wait a second. Are you are you a fan? And I'm test driving this idea now. Mina and I love the show so much that we hit the creator of the show, Christopher Cantwell, and we hit some of the cast members and said, would any of you like to come on the Low Post podcast, which is about basketball, and just have Mina and I ask you questions about your amazing show. And they're in. And we nice. haven't done it yet. Nice. So Twitter people, listeners, should we do the Mina Kimes, Zach Lowe, Halt and Catch Fire Love Fest 
Maybe yes, no. Let us know. Back to the Hawks. I vote yes. Hard yes. But back to the Hawks. Uh, I guess we'll see. Um, uh, part of the issue with their wing depth is it, it's a little harder for them to get to DeAndre Hunter at power forward, which has been uh, off and on a good lineup for them. Sometimes defensively challenged. Just a lot of mystery with the Hawks. Howard, if we go four for four, I might actually go get a mango white claw from the from the beer fridge and bust it out on this podcast now. What is your fourth most confusing team? And just pretend that you rank them, okay? Um, it's not the team that you referenced earlier that's on your list that we should probably get to, but I did include the Memphis Grizzlies. They're not on my list, so we are wow. we are now on, on separate tracks. I did a Grizzlies preview with Chris Vernon a couple weeks ago. People should check that out. I will let that suffice for my thoughts, but I'm interested to hear why you think they are confusing, Mr. Beck. I'm not sure whether they overachieved. Um, and I, I mean that as a compliment, not as a knock. Uh, they've got a great established winning formula. John Morant's going to attack you. He's going to make plays. He's going to get to the rack. He's going to score in all kinds of creative, impossible, awesome ways. They have uh, elite defense. They've got shooting. They've got toughness. They've got youth. All of it I believe in. Like I think all of those things are substantial and, and real, and and they can replicate it for another season. But is that enough in a Western conference that is now closer to, I guess, normal, for lack of a better term? Meaning we're presuming the Nuggets are at full strength sometime soon with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back. We're presuming a Clippers team that we all believe could be, a, if, if not a contender, in some places the favorite to come out of the West with Kawhi Leonard back. If the Suns don't stumble because of all the weirdness shrouding them, the Warriors are starting the season with Klay Thompson now fully functioning and a nice crop of, of young players who are part of the rotation. The Warriors are better on opening night of 2022 than they were 2021. They won the freaking championship. We've discussed the fact that the Lakers are possibly a little bit better. The Pelicans are better and the Timberwolves are better. The Blazers and Kings are even plausibly better than they were. Um, I just think that in, in the mix of all that, and again, this doesn't mean I think those teams that I've listed are all ahead of the Grizzlies. I just think the West has gotten measurably tougher and especially at the top. And the Grizzlies were the number two team in the conference last year by wins. So it is now Jaron Jackson Jr. Starting the season on the shelf, stress fracture in his right foot. Is John Morant plus all that stuff we talked about enough given the sheer talent at the top of the West right now. And that's what I don't know. And so I, while I think that they will fundamentally be just as good as they were, uh, just as solid as they were, it may still result in them slipping a few spots in the standings. Uh, I will let my comments with Chris Vernon stand. I agree with you on your concerns. Many of my uh, slight Grizzlies concerns, and as listeners might remember, Zero long-term concerns. Love what this team has. Love what they're doing. Any any slight concerns I have this year that they that they are at some risk of falling toward the play-in tournament, maybe into it, are 100% about Jaron Jackson Jr. being injured for an undetermined period of time. If it's 10 games, those concerns are small. If it's 30 or 20 or whatever, those concerns get bigger. And just replacing the DeAnthony Melton, Kyle Anderson minutes and all of that. But Bet against Ja at your peril. Doubt Ja at your peril. Doubt their toughness at your peril. Long term, 
They remain as intriguing and as exciting as they were four months ago. But I don't disagree with you having them here. Now we're going to go to my list. My list. Do you have something to add about the Grizzlies? Uh, no, I was going to ask you, where were you on the 21-4 and four or whatever they were without Jaw? Where did you fall on the uh, explanation, rationale, and, and what that actually means for them? Uh, I thought it was a big enough sample size to certainly be of interest and indicate that their defense improved without him to such a degree that they were able to win a ton of regular season games. And yet I said all along last season as they were winning those games that the playoffs were a different ball game and that they were dead in the water without his shot creation in the playoffs. And the playoffs proved that to be correct. Um, and so I could see them winning a ton of regular season games again if he misses time, when he misses time. But they just don't have anyone that can replicate what he does, breaking down defenses even close in the playoffs, and their offense floundered without him against both Minnesota and then uh, the Warriors, who I agree with you, by the way. I saw Pelton's projections, and people can go crazy about Pelton's projections. This is just numbers. It's just numbers. The numbers assume things like injuries and age-related regression, and they don't know what to make of James Wiseman and Kaminga, and they assume certain things about minutes distribution. They assume maybe certain things about how, how, how much a team's going to care about the regular season. And yet I was still very surprised when they projected the Warriors to win 42 games this year. That, to me, Bizarre. is insanity. I think the Warriors are going to be amazing when they care. I don't know how much they're going to care about the regular season, but I 100% agree with you. They're, they should be at their apex better than they were last year when all they did was win the freaking championship. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part, each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now we're going to my list. Yes. My number four most confusing team. I, I don't know. If, I don't remember what my rankings were at this point. Oh, you're going I, to chastise me about ranking, and now you're well, going now to Well, now my rankings are a mess because I threw all my papers around. I'm going to say they're number four. <laughs> the Portland Trailblazers. You mentioned them earlier yeah. uh, as a team that has improved in the Western Conference. They certainly fancy themselves as a team that has improved in the Western Conference. They acquired Jeremy Grant for the small price of one first-round pick and some other things. Um, they are hoping to get some minutes from guys that they acquired sort of willy-nilly over the last couple of years, your Justice Winslows, your Keon Johnsons, uh, maybe Shaden Sharp even cracks the rotation. They signed Gary Payton in free agency. He's going to be a key player off their bench and I think also kind of playing a lot with their starters. They extended Anthony Simons, who, I mean, these numbers blow your mind, man. 
This, this, this is Anthony Simon's catch-and-shoot three-point percentage. Catch-and-shoot, which is what you want around Dame. You don't necessarily want you know, a guy who's going to meander around with the ball, run laborious secondary pick-and-rolls, whatever. Catch-and-shoot threes, high volume. 48% last year, 51% in 2021. This dude is an elite, elite shooter who can carry the offense, hopefully, to some degree, keep it afloat, keep it treading water. When Dame, who's obviously coming off injury and surgery, so that's kind of a question mark too, when Dame is on the bench. Um, and, and so there's there are reasons to look at this team and say, okay, it's the outline of kind of a good team. Their starting five is going to be Dame, Anthony Simons, question mark, Jeremy Grant, Yusuf Nurkic. That question mark could be Nasir Little, could be Justice Winslow. Could be Josh Hart, who I really like. It's a good, solid starting five. Their bench will be Simons, effectively a backup point guard, Gary Payton Jr. And and I would do the thing where I sub Gary Payton Jr. in quickly to play with the starters if I'm going to use Simons as my backup point guard because he fits. You know, he he can play. The more shooting and talent you have around him, the better. The better he looks. Um, two of the Nasir Little, Josh Hart, Justice Winslow wing trio that I mentioned before. And then some question marks at the big man spot. It's an interesting team on paper. It's an interesting team. Did they make your list? Um, I thought long and hard about them. I did not ultimately put them on. Um, they are confusing. There's no question. In a large part, it's it's you know it's the obvious. What do we make of this team uh, after a season in which Damian Lillard was out with the most serious injury of I, I would say probably his career? Um, what is he now? And what is he in a backcourt with Anthony Simons instead of CJ McCollum? And, and what does Jeremy Grant provide? And is, 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 is just importing a couple of guys like Grant and Gary Payton Jr. Is, is that, is that enough to, to make you a plausible defensive team now, uh, an area that's obviously long been a sore spot for them. Um, and then even if you go with the optimist view of them, Hey, look, Dame Lillard is still elite. And we, we assume health. We assume he's back to the old Dame. Simons has, has, has been, you know, he, he broke through last season and, and Grant props up the defense and he's versatile, blah, 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 blah. It still comes back to the fact that the West, as we were just discussing, has, has gotten just so damn good that, you know, a few years ago, maybe this version of the Blazers would have been a top four team in the West. And in today's West, it's they could struggle to make the play in. They're just so blah to me. I look at that lineup that I just mentioned. It's fine. Like, it's just fine. I think Jeremy Grant's become a little overrated. I love all the wings I mentioned as the fifth starters. They're all fine fifth starters. Nurkic is just okay as a starting NBA center. He's fine. Um, Damon Simons, it's like, can we defend with two small guards for the 10th okay. consecutive year yeah. in Portland? And, yeah. and if Nurkic isn't uh, in a borderline elite backline defender anymore and I don't think he is I think he's lost a quarter of a step or so defensively um I just Dame Simons Nurkic I I just don't know how you build a good enough defense um around that trio and that which is why I would bring Peyton in early in games and for Simons and the bench is like just okay I mean who's their backup center Drew Eubanks Trendon Watford. Trendon Watford has one of the great floaters in the NBA. That's cool. He's undersized as a center. It's it's it's, it's he's not great. Um, it's just so blah. And when the Blazers have been really when the Blazers have been good in the last ten years, 
it's mostly been because their offense is incredible. So their offense ranked 27th last year. Throw it out the window. It's a lost season. They were tanking so furiously. I almost admired it in the last 20 games of the season. The previous three years, they were second, third, and third in points per possession. And that lifted up a defense that in some years was awful, in some years was average, in some years was somewhere in between. I just don't look at that team as brilliant as Dame is. And those numbers are a tribute to Dame because those supporting casts were not like chock full of elite offensive players outside of C.J. McCollum. I just don't see like a, an unbelievable offense out of that personnel. And I certainly don't see a good defense. I don't see great depth in the ability to withstand an injury to one of the best players. I just see a blah... It's just blah. Like I see a 500 team and they're confusing, I guess, because there's enough there to intrigue you and talk yourself into, well, they could be six in the West. They could win 45, 46 games. Their over under is around 40. It's 39 and a half. Um, and there's also so, so many questions that like I could see the season really slipping away from them. Um, I think they just look kind of 500 to me. And they, last year they tried this like crazy blitzing defense with Nurkic, even though that's not how they're built to play. They played a lot of zone, and they just found absolutely nothing that worked. And schematically, I don't know what Chauncey Billups' answer is going to be this year, but it, it's not how they played last year, even at full health. They can't blitz and trap. They just gave up tons of threes and tons of shots at the rim. Um, I just... I feel kind of blah, man. I feel bad because I love Dame and I, and I like Portland and they have some of the best fans in the NBA and I just don't know where they're going. No, I don't either. Um, I, you know, look at, at minimum, let's hope that there's a, a full season of a healthy Dame doing Dame things again. And that alone will, will make them fun to watch at times. And him and, and Simons together, uh, could be really explosive. And yes, they're undersized and all the other stuff. So at, at minimum, hopefully the, the Blazers are at least fun and interesting. I know you, you've referred to the, the lineups several times in the, in the last few minutes as blah, but like the, the, so blah, the non, well, the non blah thing is that you have Damon Simons and yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. You're right. That, that twosome is, is explosive. And so, yeah, I mean, but look, probably they're, they're scrapping around in the, in the, you know, let's try to make the last play in spot. And, and yet I, I sit here and I'm like, I really like what Nasir Little showed last year before he, his injury. And he's healthy and I think he's 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 going to start going full blast in camp and, and playing well. I think GP2 is a really good fit on this team, although it's hard for them to do the thing that the Warriors did, which is build lineups where he's the only non-shooter on the floor. So he has free reign to roll to the rim. I, I would like to see them try like Justice Winslow at center. And just sort of see how that looks. Not that he's a shooter. He's also a non-shooter. But I just would, given their other options at backup center, I, they, they should at least try that. And I think they're going to find minutes for Sharp. I, I, I think they're, they're impressed early with what they've seen from Sharp. I just don't know how he fits into your standard nine-man rotation. But I think they're going to try and find minutes for him. So there's, again, like I could talk myself into it. But at the end of the day, I just don't, I don't feel awesome. Um, you want to get to your fifth, your fifth uh, team? I have already revealed my fifth team. Well, no. Well, so let's go. Let's well, let's talk about the Cavaliers because I they're another one that I I seriously considered and then left off because I decided that why I'm not confused is that I just think they're really good. They're going to be top six in the East, and there are some things that have to go right there and some adjustments and things. But um, I I didn't feel that confused about the Cavs. 
you just feel like those four guys answer all the que- enough of the questions that this enough. is a 40. I mean, well, top six in the East could take 47 wins. So um, I'm I'm convinced <laughs> I'm convinced that that Voldemort for now is is somewhere in that top four or five, along with the Sixers, Celtics, Bucks, and so there's the four, and then five six comes down to a three way battle between the Heat, Cavs, and Raptors. That's the way I see it right now. You didn't even mention the Hawks, so you're no. you're you're hating on the Hawks. I, no, um, I just have well, but because they're more confusing for me, I've I've downgraded them just slightly as I'm scratching out tiers. That doesn't mean that they're not going to end up top four, five, six. It's just that as of right now, I had more questions about the Hawks than I had about the Cavs. But that said, look, you you go because you had listed them earlier. But yes, like start with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland having to mesh their games and and giving up size in the backcourt again this issue so there is there is that but then they also have possibly the greatest defensive front court uh tandem in the NBA so anyway you go well look let's just be clear two of the following eight teams are in the play in tournament however you want to slice the health the luck the injuries the math whatever two of Philadelphia Milwaukee Boston, Miami, Toronto, Voldemort, Hawks, Cavs. Two of those teams are in the play-in. I, come to grips with it, Cavs fans, Hawks fans, Voldemort fans, Raptors fans, Heat fans. Two of those teams, all of whom, if you ask them internally, of course we're a top six team. Of course. Yeah. No brainer. Disrespectful to say otherwise. Okay, well, two of you aren't going to be. There's a math so problem. Yes. I feel like the I feel about the Cavs exactly as I did about the Hawks, in that I can't decide if on pure talent because those four dudes are so good, they're closer to like fourth, third in the East, or closer to seventh, eighth in the East. I guess I lean, like I I, I lean towards. I think it's more likely they're hosting a first round playoff series four or five. Four or five. I don't think they can get higher than that without something bad happening to somebody else no. than they are to be eighth or ninth. But eighth or ninth wouldn't surprise me. But I would say I think Cleveland's more likely to be like fourth or fifth um, just based on those four guys. Because offensively, Garland and Mitchell are a great fit. Mitchell solves the we can't score without Darius Garland because we have nobody that can dribble after Ricky Rubio's injury problem. Mobley and Jared Allen solve a lot of problems defensively together and then staggering them so one is always on the floor. And then you know, my my concerns, though, are not so much the fo- the small forward spot. Like, everyone's fixated on they don't have a big wing, they don't have a big 3 and D wing. You know, blah, they need a oh, Is Isaac Okoro going to make any shots? Who's starting at the 3? I have no idea who's going to start at the 3, and I don't really care. I, 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 I care. I care. It's, it's an it's a, it's a, it's a issue they're going to have to solve. Long, medium term, long term. I don't really care if they solve it immediately. Could be a Coro, could be Jetty Osman, could be Karis Levert, who is apparently killing it in camp. I, I don't think I would pick him, and I don't think they'll pick him because I think they they worry about those three guys defensively, and and they like his ball handling off the bench. It could be the recently extended Dean Wade, and as I keep saying on this podcast, even though he sounds like an accountant. Good things happen when Dean Wade is on the floor. Just do. On both ends of the floor, he can guard a lot of positions and shoot threes, and he's a smart player. Good things happen, so maybe it's him. I just worry a little bit about their depth. Like, I, I, I'm not ready to trust Okoro. Osmond's all right. Wade's all right. Kevin Love was a massive part of their depth last year, and 
you know, we'll see if he replicates what he did. I think he could. I, I guess it comes down to until Rubio comes back, I just their depth feels a little shaky to me. Um, like like their bench is going to be Neto, Lavert, Jetty, Love, and one of the big guys. I mean, that's fine. That works. It's one injury away from like, oh my God, Lamar Stevens is is heavily involved here, and that makes me a little bit nervous. But I think on pure talent, these guys are are really really good. I'm just interested to see how good, how they withstand adversity, how they fill out their depth, and how they do guard the Tatum's and Browns and Hardens and Durant's and whoever is of the world. And yeah, of course, nobody can guard those guys, but you need somebody so that you don't have to swarm with nine guys to prevent them from scoring. And I think long-term, medium-term, one of the reasons I'm not that really super worried about that the theoretical small forward hole is I think long-term, medium-term, short-term even, the guy that can guard those guys is Evan Mobley. And I know Evan Mobley is a quote-unquote big, but it's not that hard in the modern NBA to finagle the matchups so that Evan Mobley is guarding Jason Tatum. I mean, in the finals, Anthony Davis guarded Jimmy Butler. Like, It's not that hard to do, and I think he's the best equipped for it. And by the way, he's going to be a monster. I mean, the stuff you're hearing about his shooting and his playmaking. So I'm a little confused about them. I'm optimistic, but I think there's a little bit more of a short-term downside, a little bit more severe or slippery of a short-term downside than maybe people have realized given the excitement over the Donovan trade. Yeah, but I also think that when you have that much talent, if you have four guys who are plausible all-stars, you know, three of whom already have been and and one of whom soon will be, uh, like you're already starting so far ahead that when you're talking about the who starts at small forward or is the bench quite good enough or whatever, like a lot of that, it's not that it goes away and it's not that it's unimportant. It's just that given health, you, you know, you've got the ability to stagger your, your stars. You've got an ability to always have, in their case, you're always going to have an elite scorer playmaker on the court if they want to, uh, you know, arrange it in such a way that Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland, at least one is always on the court. They can do that. That already puts you ahead of the game. Um, you mentioned, you know, they can, they can, they have the big, uh, front court, but then Jared Allen can go to the bench. Mobley can be your five. They've just got all these different things they can do where you don't have some massive drop off and you're, you're just starting from such an advantage at having, you know, four legit all-stars on your roster. So like to me, that means that their floor is, is very high. Like they're just not, no matter what else, what other question marks we can raise, um, they're going to be fine. I think their floor should be seven. And that's, by the way, all of this is before uh, allowing for the fact that maybe the Bulls withstand these injuries, this injury to Lonzo, better than people expect. It could be Desumnu and and Pat Williams making a leap, whatever it is. I mean, both those guys should make leaps. They should get better. It, it Allowing for the Knicks to exceed expectations or whatever wild thing you want to predict. I think Cleveland's floor should be seven. And... I'd be optimistic about something going wrong with one of those other six teams that they get in to the top six and have a shot, like I said, to host a first-round playoff series. But we'll see. Give me your – just real quick, what's the, what's the fifth team we didn't get to? The fifth team we didn't get to, uh, which will you're going to be happy we didn't get to it because I put this one in there partially because I thought it would be fun, partially to make your head explode, and partially because I legitimately uh, put on my Fox Mulder hat and said I want to believe. In the Sacramento Kings, I look. I I talked about them last week with 
Kevin Pelton, I, 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 I think they're way better than their projections. Their over-under is 33 and a half. I, I find that crazy low. Yes. I just don't know what believing. Believing means we could get 10th. That's yeah. the belief. Yeah. And by the way, hang yeah. the banner. Hang the banner, Vivek. You got 10th. Hang the banner. Lost play-in probably by a lot 2022-23. Um, but I think they're going to be solid. But, uh, you yeah. know, people can listen to my Kings podcast from from last week with uh, Mr. Pelton to to see what I think about Malik Monk and Kevin Herter and Harrison Barnes and Domantas Sabonis and on and on and on. I think they have a solid team. They're They're interesting. And we didn't really get enough of a sample size of Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox together to really know what that will look like. Um, and now, you know, it's the whole usual thing. They've got a full training camp with them. They brought in Herder. They've got more shooting now. They've got a lot of interesting pieces. They're high on Davion Mitchell. And, I, I, you know, uh, everybody seems to love Keegan Murray. Like, there's something interesting going on there. And Very interesting. And they have the, the perfect coach, as I said last week, to just say, hey, cool, all this pace, offense, all that stuff, we're going to lean into pace. He's saying all the right things about playing fast with De'Aaron Fox. Here is the bedrock of how we get competent. Because as I said last week, competence is all we're aiming for. The 2022-23 Kings. Can we be a competent franchise? And, and can we be competent enough that if we're competent for 20 games, we don't get A, irrationally exuberant, or B, so dumb that we do something that sabotages our own competence like firing the coach or making a crazy trade because that's what they do. Every time you see a little light at the end of the tunnel, they just destroy the tunnel and everyone gets smashed underneath the rubble. Uh, Just competence. And the best way to do that is here's our defensive scheme. It's simple. We know the personnel is not great. But just like the Mavericks last year, if you just follow the rules all together – on a string, try really hard. We can be average defensively. The Mavs are way better than that. We can be average. If we're average defensively, we give ourselves a chance to win every night. Maybe yeah. not average. Maybe like 18th, 19th, whatever. Close to average. Yeah. I'm high on the Kings. Yeah. 10th place, hang the banner. 10th place if like Portland fails or the Lakers fail or the Pelicans fail. 10th place, hang the banner. If they finish 11th, if they finish 11th and miss the play-in, imagine if they finish 11th. And missed a play-in on, like, the last day of the season. They're playing for 10th, and they lose in some super Kingsy fashion. I just I, – I hope they get 10th. It, it, it would just be too much. I do, I do not wish that on them. Uh, obviously, you know my Northern California ties. You know, grew up in the Bay Area, went to school at UC Davis down the road from Sacramento. And all, on top of that, I spent all those years covering Lakers-Kings series. And so I know how passionate, how intense – that fan base is how much they love the Kings when they're good. Uh, they've got this great new arena that that has just gone. You know, I don't. Know, I want to say like it's not that it's been rendered useless. It's just like they can't even show it off because they they never play any games that matter. And uh, Kings fans deserve better. Sacramento deserves better. And that 16 year drought uh, needs to it's end. It's really incredible. It's unsightly. It's just. I think it's if they gross. get to if they get to 20, if they get to 20 years. I have to think more about this. Something has to happen. Like, I, I'm not even sure what I'm saying. Like, we need, <laughs> like, if we if they get to 20 years, they need to. 
I don't even. I, I just don't even know. I think, they need to. Let, I was going to say they need to let Chris Weber take over the team. They've already <laughs> let every ex King have some role in running the team. They need to let. They need to just let the fans. They need to hold a random drawing of fans to be the GM and coach of the team if they get to twenty years without making the playoffs. I, I think this actually goes back to one of my drunk with power ideas that we covered a couple of years back, which was my uh, concept of um, team ownerships are are in like. Uh, it's a 10-year contract. And at the end of that 10 years, you have to be renewed. And if you're incompetent, if you're terrible, if you're corrupt, if you're a horrible person, as some uh, recent owners have shown themselves to be, uh, then you don't get a new 10-year run. You are not the owner. You are a steward. You, you, This is temporary. The fans can vote you out. So if the Kings get to 20 straight seasons of no playoffs, at that point, uh, it, it should have triggered twice the Howard Beck rule of the fans get to vote out the owner. And look, 20 versus 16 is not that big of a difference. I realize I am falling victim to the, oh my God, round numbers are cool way of thinking. <laughs> like, you know, 300 wins doesn't make you a better pitcher than 299, but it's still really cool. So, yes. Okay, let's wrap with that. Uh, I am a little confused about the Kings as, a, as, are, as are you. Mr. Beck, um, we can read you at Sports Illustrated. We can listen to you on the crossover with Chris Mannix. I gotta, can I mute Mannix and just listen to your part? Is that okay? Or, or the, just it, listen to the ones where it's you and a guest? I actually recommend the muting of Mannix, yes. The muting of Mannix. That sounds like a movie about like some long-forgotten war in the 1800s or some <laughs> tried the muting of Mannix. Mr. Howard Beck, it's great to see you. I'll see you soon at the Barclays Center uh, where we can see the team play basketball. Absolutely. Great to see you, Zach.